Good morning. Oh, good afternoon. Well, we are now properly post-Christmas, aren't we? I don't know about you, but in our house, the decorations are all gone. There are some kind of lingering biscuits and half a panettone in the corner of the kitchen. But basically, Christmas is done with. I mean, I have queued up in Marks and Spencers to get my refunds of the things that didn't quite work out. And I've hidden away some gifts that they were meant well, but I'm never going to wear them and I'm never going to use them. Anybody else get any gifts like that? But you know, the waistline and the bank balance for most of us is going to be affected by Christmas for a while, isn't it? That's the reality. And you know, those gifts particularly the edible ones that are left around in the house, it becomes a question of who were they given to. So, you know, I'm just saying that the other evening I came in and I saw that the box of chocolates that I had been given was empty. (laughs) So, you know, William, I'm not sure what happened there. And basically, our culture does say to us, you know, if you've been given something, it belongs to you, it's yours, and actually, the more you have, the more you're going to be happy, and it's all about what is yours. But the Bible tells us something very, very different. And today, I'd like to read a story where Jesus kind of spells out that difference. Uh, Jesus loved to tell stories, parables. They are simple, dramatic. Uh, They're meant to grab our attention and leave us with questions. They don't explain everything, and often they end with a challenge. And so we're going to read Matthew 25. Uh, It's going to come up on the screen, but you can open your Bibles. And as we read this story, I want you to think about what is the challenge? What are the questions that this story raises? So Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. Again, it was like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five, Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, 
I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that's quite an ending, isn't it? It's a challenging, scary ending, and it should raise questions for us. We're going to look at those towards the end of what I'm going to say this morning. But first of all, I want us to look at what the parable says clearly to all of us. We live in a world that encourages us to think that everything we have is ours. But actually, this story is saying that everything we have is given to us by the master. It's not ours. It's his. I don't know over Christmas if you have little children in your family, in your household, but the average three-year-old only understands the word mine. They're not interested in sharing. If they've got a toy, it's theirs. If someone else has got a toy, it's theirs. And they really keep everything to themselves, don't they? And they're not going to share very easily. And for many of us, there's a little bit of a three-year-old still inside, isn't it? So we look at our stuff, our time, our money, our home, our life, and we say, it's mine, mine to do as I please with. But actually, this story says, no, these things are all given to us. They're entrusted to us by God. The Bible says in James 1.17, every good gift that we have comes from above, from our Father in heaven. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about spiritual gifts, says that, you know, each of us receives spiritual gifts, and they come from God. They're not ours. We don't earn them or deserve them. And here in this story, the master goes away, and he leaves with the servants what he wants them to look after. He gives it to them for safekeeping. We tend to forget that all that we have belongs to God and is given to us by God. We take it as mine. But this, that what we're given, it isn't just given for us to do what we like with. It's given on loan. It's entrusted with responsibility that we will use that gift, that we will multiply that gift, that we will share and develop and invest in that gift. We're not going to just bury it and sit on it like the third servant did. 1 Corinthians talks about spiritual gifts given for the common good. So what we're given is not for ourselves primarily. It's to share with others. 
Sometimes we can share something practical. Sometimes we share something spiritually with others. Paul in Romans 1 verse 11 says this. He's talking to the church in Rome and he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. So he's not talking about encouraging them to do a bit of keep fit and bodybuilding, although many of us could probably do with that after Christmas. But he's saying, no, the gifts I have of preaching and teaching and encouragement, they're going to strengthen you as a church. In 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2, Paul says, We sent Timothy, our brother and servant in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you in your faith and to exhort you that no one be moved by these afflictions. Paul is saying that I'm going to send Timothy and he's going to use his gifts, he's going to use his words to encourage and build you up, to strengthen you in your faith. And that's what we should be doing, strengthening and encouraging one another, using our gifts to build one another up. And when we do that, there is joy in that. Our culture says, no, if you keep all your stuff to yourself, uh, if you, that will make you happier. In fact, if you can accumulate more, that will make you even happier. But here, it says that when we invest what God has given, then there, there is joy. We share in the master's happiness. Most of us get a glimpse of that at Christmas, don't we? When we've taken our resources and we've chosen a present for someone we love, when they open that, if we see on their face that there's genuine happiness at what we've given them, I mean, that makes us feel happy, doesn't it? Because there's joy in giving and sharing. I don't know if you've ever received a gift that really did you good in the moment. Maybe it was just a phone call. Someone remembered you and they phoned you and encouraged you when you were going through a hard time. It does you good, doesn't it? You know, someone uh, from the church just before Christmas gave me a prophetic word and uh, it was very simple and it really encouraged me. And basically it was that if I was willing to share with my hairdresser, I would see fruit from that. Now, I'd known my hairdresser for a while, and to be honest, the conversation between us had been fairly superficial. But that word strengthened me and encouraged me. So when I went and got my hair done before Christmas, I talked to her, I listened to her, I took her more seriously as a person. And we shared together some honest conversation. And I told her a little bit about my faith. I invited her to the carol service. She didn't come, but I upped my game. And I felt challenged. And I'm looking forward to seeing her again. Because that person's word to me strengthened me in my resolve to witness. As a couple, William and I are trying to be generous with what we have. I don't always find that easy because I'm tempted to say, it's mine. But actually, there have been some moments when we've given away something to somebody and they've come back to us, I don't know if this has happened to you, and said, you know, that was just at the right time for me. That made such a difference. 
And that is a great feeling. And that is what we're called to do as people of God. This should go to the heart of who we are as individuals, but also who we are as a people, a generous people. Ephesians 2 says that God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. And there's joy when we do what he asks us to do. There's a few verses from Proverbs and Acts that explain what joy there is in giving. Proverbs 14 says, Happy is he who is gracious to the poor. He who is generous will be blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, they're great words. They're great promises. Many of us got involved in the big red box project before Christmas, where we collected food, put it in boxes, and we distributed over 2,000 boxes out into the community to people uh, who were without stuff this Christmas. And we started to get the thank you letters coming in. And I want to just read some of the words that people have written. And this is uh, a selection from people who are struggling with addiction and who received hampers from us this Christmas. So one of the guys says, uh, you really helped me giving me breakfast food and snacks over the Christmas period. It helped me save money so I was able to buy my daughter a present. Not only did you make me happy, but you also put a smile on my daughter's face. Someone else said, it was very considerate of you, but I did give some of it away to some of my peers but thank you for your kindness. Someone else said, my hamper was given to my next door neighbor who was in great need of it. And to know I could give it to someone who had even more need than me was great. Thank you. Someone else said, thank you for all the trouble you went to. And hopefully I will be in a position to contribute to someone else's hamper next year. When we are generous, it's like the ripples go out and it gives courage for other people to be generous. It's generosity is like infectious. And as we share what we have, it encourages other people to share too. And you know, in this story, every one of the servants was given something. They were all given a choice about what to do with what the master had given them. And we all have a choice in 2018. What are we going to give? You know, what are we going to do with what God has given us? How are we going to put into practice that we are stewards, not owners? It's not all ours. It's given to us to share. I love Peter in 1 Peter 4, where he just makes it really practical. And he says this, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. 
I mean, how amazing. We get to be stewards of God's grace. When we share things, when we serve at church, when we're in kids' work or on PA, whatever we do, when we give in the offering, we are becoming a steward of God's grace. I mean, that is an honor. That is a privilege. And I hope each one of us this year is going to pause and think, how can I be a steward of God's grace in 2018? I hope some of you are going to take this seriously. Maybe you're going to offer some hospitality without grumbling, invite someone round for a meal to your house who lives by themselves. Maybe you're going to give some money to someone you know who is under pressure right now. Maybe you're going to commit to give regularly to the work of, of God here in the church. Maybe there's someone at work you should take out for lunch and be kind to. Maybe when you sign up for a group, instead of just kind of thinking, oh, well, I'll go if I can, you'll say, no, I'm going to commit to that group. I'm going to go every week. I'm going to carve out my time and give it to the people in that group, and I'm going to build some friendships in that group. Maybe you need to come along to the stewardship seminar. We're holding that on Wednesday the 24th. Steve, our senior pastor, will be leading that. Because the reality, especially in January, we often need some help to gather our resources and budget our resources and look after what we've got so that we have enough to share with others. Why not come along to this seminar? Decide that now to get some good practical advice so that you can be generous in 2018. But this story is not just about what we do with our money or our resources, our gifts. There's some questions in there that go deeper. It ends, doesn't it, with that kind of scary thing of the servant being thrown out into the outer darkness. And that raises questions. I mean, does that mean that God is going to reject me if I don't use my money wisely? Does it mean that coming into the kingdom of God is all about what I do, works? Or, you know, I thought it was all about faith in Jesus. So it does raise questions for us. And I want to address some of those, but I don't want to water down the challenge that is in this passage. Let's not dodge the warning here. What we do with our lives matters to God. How we steward what he has given us matters to God. And we will all be called to account about what we've done with what he has given us. But let's look at it in a bit more depth. There are three stories in this chapter, chapter 25 of Matthew, and the chapter before, chapter 24, which I'd encourage you to read when you get home, is all about Jesus talking about the end times and when he's going to come back again, establish his kingdom, and call to account everybody. And Jesus here is towards the end of his life, and he's entrusting to his disciples, his servants, the good news of sharing the gospel. And he wants them to live with a sense of urgency. He might appear to be gone for a long time like the master in the story, but he is 
going to return. And he's looking for wise and faithful servants who will carry out his work while he is gone. So these stories are written in response to that. What does a wise and faithful steward look like? Well, let me tell you this to get you thinking. Sometimes we get to babysit our grandchildren. And I, our, our own children, they usually leave us with a list of things we can do and what we can't do. And if we were being wise in worldly terms, maybe we would just follow their instructions. Children would go to bed at the right time. All will be well. The house would be tidy. But do you know what? We don't want to be grandparents like that. We want to really get to know our, our grandchildren. We want to have fun with them. We want to make memories with them. We want them to know us, and we want to really know them. So we might just break some rules. Don't tell my children. We might keep them up later. We might do some fun things, because it's not about keeping to the rules. It's about knowing each other. And it's the same in the kingdom of God. Being a wise and faithful steward is not just about being sensible. It's not about playing at religion. It's not about looking good on the outside and going for what is safe. The kingdom of God is a faith adventure. It's about surprising growth and multiplication and giving away your life to know Jesus. It's about dying to self and seeing unexpected fruit from that. Being a faithful steward in the kingdom is about faith in the master. It's about knowing him and following him. And if we know him and we live for him, we will live a radically different life from the people around us. We will be generous to people that, in a way that goes beyond what they expect. We will invest time in projects and people that other, other people don't think are worth anything. It's about believing that the kingdom is worth giving our whole life to. In an earlier story in the chapter, five bridesmaids appear to be shut out of the wedding because they weren't ready. Actually, if you read the story at the end, they were shut out because the bridegroom never knew them. They weren't ready because they didn't know him. They hadn't entered into this faith adventure. They hadn't taken it seriously. And the issue for our servant in this story is that he never really interacted with the master and understood what the master wanted. He responded with fear, not with faith. He misread the master's intention. He thought he knew him maybe, but he never really knew him. If he had, he would have gone out and invested what he was given and taken risks and done everything he could to make that investment grow. But instead, he buried the treasure because he didn't really understand the master. This story isn't just about gifts and money and what we do with our time. It's about what we do with our life. There's an eternal issue at stake in this story. 
Because if we're willing to give our lives to Jesus, then everything else is going to belong to him. But if we're not willing to give everything to the master, then however good we look on the outside, it just won't count. You won't enter into the joy of the master until you go on that faith adventure, 100%. James in the New Testament, in his book, he says, faith without works is dead. And that's not saying that if you do good works, you will come into the kingdom and all will be well. No, he's saying that true faith in Jesus, in the master, is the kind of faith that will produce change in your life. It will make you generous and and hospitable. It will mean that you live a life that is radically different to the world. It's worth just thinking about that. Are we really following Jesus in that radical way? Have you accepted the gift of eternal life that is offered to you? Have you known his forgiveness and acceptance into his family? Or actually, have you just never received that gift? You've never understood that was all, what it was all about. You thought it was all about kind of doing good and, and looking good. Maybe you've taken on board some of the externals and you appear to serve the master, but you know in your heart you've never truly believed. You've never risked everything on Jesus. You haven't dived into the kingdom with all that you have. And you know that if he called you to account right now, you're not sure how you would measure up. Jesus told another story about a man who found treasure in a field. And he went away and sold everything that he had so he could buy that field and have that treasure. He was so determined. He valued that treasure so much. He was willing to give everything up for him, for it. And that's what faith in Jesus looks like, giving everything to know him. There's another aspect of this story I want you to notice. In parables, in stories, we don't get a full representation of God. In this story, God is there. He is represented by the master, but only in two aspects. He gives gifts to all of us, and he calls everyone to account. And let's be in no doubt, all of us we'll have to give an account of our life. So we see God as Lord and Master in this parable. But we, many of us here, we know him too to be Savior, to be merciful, to be grace-filled. We don't see that in this story. But there are many, many other verses and stories which show how gracious and forgiving and merciful God is. In fact, Jesus continually sought out the people who weren't wise, the failures, uh, the foolish, those that were lost, those that were drunkards or prostitutes, those that were far from God, not the religious people. And he looked not at what they did and how they lived their life. He looked for a heart response to him. Jesus came as a ransom 
for many. He came for all who were sinful and sick and messed up. Jesus, God's own treasure, came into the world. He was given to the world, but he was rejected. He was killed on a cross by those who didn't receive him. He was thrown into the outer darkness of the tomb. He took on himself the judgment and the guilt that we deserve. He was buried and forgotten, but he rose again. That all of us, any one of us who choose, can receive the gift of eternal life. Based not what on we do, but on what he has done, on faith in him. This morning, what will you do with the gift of life that has been given to you? Many of us here today, we've already put our faith in Jesus. And the challenge to us is what will we do with all that he has given us? Will we be stewards or owners? You know, as the year began, William and I talked about this. Are we living for the master? Are we going to be generous in 2018? Are we going to live as if it all belonged to him? And the great thing is over the next few weeks, we're going to have a a series called Disciple. And every week, we're going to have the opportunity to wrestle with these questions. What does it look like to live as a disciple for Jesus? And if you're a follower of him, I would encourage you, come along every week, get in a group, engage with this series. Let's make our life count for him this year. Some of you have heard the gospel and you've tried to put it in practice, but you know in your heart you've never wholeheartedly responded. You've never admitted your own failings. You've got questions. You don't really understand what does faith in Jesus mean? What is Jesus asking of me? And I would encourage you, sign up for Alpha. Alpha is a great, safe place to ask the questions you've got about Jesus, to ask what does it really mean to follow him? Maybe this morning you're going to decide, I'm going to do Alpha But I just think there are some people today, you've heard the gospel many times, and you know it's going to cost you everything. It's going to involve you giving your life to Jesus. And so far, you've hesitated. I'm challenging you this morning to say yes to Jesus today. I remember as a teenager saying yes to him. It was the best decision I ever made. We live in a time of grace, but let's respond. Let's decide today while we can, let's give him all that we have. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Let's open our hearts to respond to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we're so thankful that we live in a day of grace We're so thankful that you came to earth and you gave your life that we might be forgiven, that we might know eternal life if we put our faith and trust in you. We thank you for all that you've given us, life and strength and money and resources and time. And we pray, Lord God, that you will help us use them wisely for you this year. Speak to us, Lord, we are listening 
because we want to follow you wholeheartedly. Amen. Let's, let's worship and respond to God. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to decide and respond this morning.